0: Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com.
1: Well, hey, good morning again. Hope everyone is doing well. A couple Sundays ago, we kicked off our fall vision series, and in this series, we're exploring the vision that God has given us as a church, and we're also sort of unpacking our sense of how God is leading us in this new season. And so if you weren't with us in the past couple Sundays, we encourage you to listen online as we feel this has really been an important series for the life of our church. But just by way of recap, two Sundays ago, we talked about how God has given us a vision for a city and not just... For a church. that He's given us a vision for a city and for a region and and not just for a church. And specifically, the vision God has given us is to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So that's really our heartbeat. That's what we long to see happen. That is our vision. That is our prayer. And so we began a discussion of, well, okay, so so how do we see that happen? It's a wonderful vision, but how do we take a step toward that? And so... We've been looking at some different things that we are called to as part of how we step into that vision. And so uh, the first thing we saw is that we are called to intimacy, that we are called to lives of intimacy with Jesus Christ. We saw that the first thing that Jesus called his disciples to was that they would be with him that they would live this life of intimate relationship with him. But then the second thing we saw is that we are called to follow him. Jesus said, follow me. In other words, we are to follow Jesus with our lives. And we saw that that involves being with him and becoming like him and doing the kinds of things that he did. And so now in light of that today, we're talking about how we are not only called to follow Jesus, but we're actually called to follow him together, that we are called to belong. And, and just in, in, in light of the topic, I've invited some dear friends of ours who are leaders here, uh, Dennis and Carrie Cruz. They oversee our small groups here at the Vine. And I've invited them just to share with us today. And they're just, if you don't know them, they're just amazing people. And I just know we're going to be so blessed by what they have to share. And so I want to invite you to join me in welcoming up Dennis and Carrie Cruz. <laughs> Do I pray for you guys? Please join me in prayer. So, Father, we thank you that your word is active and uh, that is alive. And so we pray that through it you would speak to us today. And I I pray for Dennis and Carrie that you would just anoint them afresh, God, and that you would speak through them and that you would give us open hearts to receive all that you would say and to follow, however you lead us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wait, Michael, before you go, is this on?
2: I just want to... Church, today is your pastor, Michael Swanson's birthday. Don't leave. He is... 29 again. He is... You can't lie in church, but he is is 40 years old today. He's a new plateau. He's going into a new realm, and I know all about it. So here we go. Um, We just want to say as a church, we love you. We're Mm. so grateful for leading us guiding us for a heart of jesus for a heart of mercy you love the church you love the lost and we're just so grateful and we're so blessed and we hope that the next 40 years you'll be blessed upon blessed so church (laughs) join us happy birthday Birthday to you happy Birthday birthday to you Happy birthday, dear Michael! Happy birthday to you! Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.
0: Okay, Um, is this good? Because I don't speak in front of mics. You can hear me, right? Okay. So, good morning, church family, and friends, and visitors. Dennis and I are so honored to be asked to um, share with you this morning, and so thank you, Michael. Thank you for trusting us. Um, if you're visiting for the first time and think you might have stumbled in on a weird Sunday when we're talking about community, we just want to assure you that we're so glad you're here, and even if you're here on a one-off with a friend just to see what church is about, we, we just want you to relax. We're not going to pressure you into anything. We're not going to sell you anything, so just kick back, put your feet on the coffee table, and and. Um, Relax with us. So today we're going to be talking about belonging, and um, belonging, we're aware, touches on tender places in all of us. Um, it's just the core desire of every human's heart to belong. And we have many attempts at belonging. Sometimes they're successful, sometimes they just aren't. Um, sometimes we can feel like we're the black sheep or the polka-dotted sheep. And um, a green sheep. I have a friend who um, shares this sentiment with me many times. We feel like we're, we're like Kermit the Frog, who says it's, so, it's not easy being green. And so we've developed even a texting code for this. We just send each other a little green heart and know then that that's just saying, ah, I'm having a green moment. Pray for me. So I did it this morning. Um, and it's great to have that support. Um, so many people feel alone with this feeling that's kind of ironic that so many of us feel so green, and yet we're all together. And so if you're here today and you feel a little green-hearted, you know that you're in the right place, and if you're here and you don't feel that, you're also in the right place because Christ is here for all of us, and this church is for that too. So God has been speaking so much to me this year about the importance of humility when we approach community. And Dallas Willard, our... Our person who Michael loves to quote, very wise man, describes a formula for developing humility, uh, three Ps, to keep us on the path towards humility. He says, just don't pretend, don't presume, and don't push. And so in uh, our enthusiasm this morning, because Dennis and I love community and we're passionate about it, but as we're passionate, we're really hoping um, that we don't come across at all as pretending to know your story or presuming to know what your next step will be, or pushing you towards anything that the Holy Spirit is not. Um, we just want to offer what we have, what we feel like God's told us is our next step in this community. We offer that to you and ask you to just receive it in love and, and weigh it in the presence of God.
2: As Carrie and I have spent time listening and reflecting on what God has calling us to, This season, we thought we've heard four things. One is we're called to community. We're called to make ourselves home in a family. We are called to risk. And we're called to offer what we have with generosity and without fear. This morning, we'd like to unpack those ideas for you. Have you ever felt so lonely that even though you were surrounded by people, you felt like you were all alone? I have. I've been so lonely many times throughout my life, but one time in particular was the loneliest I've ever felt. I was 20 years old, I'll get through this, and after a series of horrible events, I didn't think I'd do this, my 21-year-old sister died. She and I were close, and I was already on the brink of collapse, but I was trying to hold it together until after the funeral. The day of the funeral, I was standing outside the church, and there was people all around me. I was sobbing hysterically, and I remember my body was heaving up and down uncontrollably. During that time, not one person, not one, came up to me. No one touched me, and no one said one word to me. It was the loneliest and probably the lowest I've ever felt. I was truly alone in a sea of people. So what was I supposed to do now? How was I supposed to move forward? Well, at the lowest point in my life, God reached out to me. I didn't understand it at the time, but God was calling himself and calling me to live in community. He called out to me, and fortunately, I heard him and I listened. It sounds weird, But I thought I was supposed to go on this weekend retreat. I knew I was supposed to sign up for this weekend excursion, even though I really didn't want to go. It had to be God's prompting because I was an introvert who was grieving, and I knew it would not be fun to meet 40 new people and share a room with people I didn't know. (laughs) However, I went on the retreat, and the teachings and discussion were about having a personal relationship with Jesus. At the Sunday afternoon meeting, I looked around and saw these people loving Jesus and loving each other. I wanted what they had. They had Jesus, and I wanted Jesus. In addition, they lived in community, and I could see that they loved each other. And I wanted that also. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And even though I didn't fully comprehend what community meant, I knew I didn't have a community, and I wanted one. I didn't understand it then, but God was calling me to belong, to be a part of something, to be a part of community. I wanted people in my life, but I didn't know and didn't trust people around me. Even though I was an introvert filled with grief and shame, I didn't have any, and didn't have any idea how to connect with people. I knew I wanted and needed community, and God was calling me to community. I felt like the Lord placed a desire to be with people inside of me. He was calling me. I believe living in community is a calling from God. Without those wonderful people who loved me for who I was, laughed at my corny jokes, noticed me, listened to me, and served me, I would still be a broken man today. Many decades later, and some people would say many, many decades later. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing, but (laughs) I'm just saying. With God's grace and several wonderful and challenging communities later, I'm living the life God has called me to. I know that I know, that I know that living in community is a calling for all of us. But living in community is always a choice. If you don't want to participate in community, you won't. If you want to participate in community, you will. Living and participating in community takes intentionality no matter where you are. Last week, Pastor Michael referenced the book of Mark and how God called his disciples to follow him. I'm going to add, he called them to be with him and live in community with him for three years. It says in Mark chapter 1, 17 through 18, come follow me, Jesus said, I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him the disciples find out pretty quickly that individualism and doing life alone is not part of Jesus' plan. Through the highs and lows of being together, his followers discover the importance of God's presence, God's calling on their lives, and service in the kingdom. Throughout their journey, they identified their gifts, their fears, their strengths, their weaknesses, and they started to understand who they were in Jesus. Living in community, belonging to God, belonging is a calling from God from our lives. We simply can't function without each other. We need each other, and we need to belong. The disciples didn't do life alone, and we're meant meant to not do life alone either. We need each other, and we need to understand the idea that community comes from the sense of responsibility we have for each other. Supportive friendships and healthy relationships are necessary for spiritual growth. We know that life in the world can be grueling at times. We all live it. It may be tough to not get discouraged and become overwhelmed. It may, it may be easy to feel alone and think, no one understands what you're going through. We all fall down, and we need help getting up. We are called to be in community, and it may feel risky. However, we must learn to trust each other, to reach out to others, and admit our need for support. We are called to love one another, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, and the church. It isn't always a breeze, and sometimes it's a whirlwind, but we're made to live life together in fellowship, to help one another to share each other's burdens, and to encourage each other. I love how it says in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes that two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can, help, can reach out and help. But someone who falls is in real trouble. Likewise, excuse me, I'll just skip to verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two standing back-to-back back can conquer. Can you? That's a great picture for me. We're back-to-back back protecting each other. That's why we're the body of Christ. And then he comes to say, three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And imagine the disciples. Twelve is better than three.
0: So. And then we also, our second point was, uh, that we've heard is that we're called to be family. Um, We're a family, not a business, not an institution. We are first and foremost family. Paul um, used several metaphors in the New Testament to describe the early church, but the one he used most commonly was family. Um, We're family because we have one Father. Even every Sunday we pray the prayer Jesus taught us that begins, our Father who art in heaven. And uh, in Mark 335 Jesus was speaking to some people and said whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister so we are called to be family but sometimes I forget sometimes I think church community is like any other community like the neighborhood community I live in where random strangers just somehow chose the same piece of property or um, maybe a common interest or a job or a bunch of people that chose the same college to go to Um, we can bring that kind of idea into the church community, and feel like somehow we all just randomly ended up in this cute 1920s church, and we're just going to have an awesome pastor and love Jesus together. But really, it isn't random. We're really actually called to become a family, that this group God's brought together to become a family. And if our perspective is off a little bit, it makes a difference, just like with um, binoculars. If you just don't have it quite dialed in just right, you can see, but it's fuzzy, and it's not actually... It's going to skew what you see. So if we don't see church as a family, we can start um, expecting things that it's not prepared to offer us. So we may start treating it like a bed and breakfast where we just hope that we could stop in once a week and we hope it's not too messy and we hope that um, it feels comfortable to us. Or um, when we don't remember it's family, we can um, forget that we have an important role to play, that we have responsibilities and that we, we forget that we have brothers and sisters who need our attention and our love and support, our affirmation. So like many of you, I grew up in a family, only I kind of didn't. Thank you, Jeannie. <laughs> but actually, I kind of didn't grow up in a family because from the time I was six years old, all the way through high school, I spent nine months of the year away living at a boarding school. This was in Africa where my parents were missionaries, so that was the structure that took care of my education. So um, the school was definitely not a family. It it never intended to be. It was an institution. It was a system. It was designed to keep us orderly and safe. So we lived in dormitories. We ate in cafeterias. We had bells. We had lots and lots of bells. And and it, it, it functioned to keep us safe. And my siblings and I spent three times as much of the year at school as we did at home. So when it came time to go home for vacation... We were very excited, but we found that it took a period of acclimation to figure out what family life was again. There would be an awkward few days of politeness as we relearned who each other were, and there was like a little time of cautious distance, relearning what were the um, limits and the privileges in our home, what was free and what wasn't. My parents were really warm. That wasn't the issue. They're very attaching, affectionate people, and they were thrilled to have us home, just as we were thrilled to be there. But it just was awkward, it was just uncomfortable, and it took a bit of time to acclimate ourselves. Well, what really helped with that process was when my parents began giving us chores. So um, they insisted that we participate in family life by taking out the trash, by making our beds, doing laundry, all the things that you have your children do or you have to do, because you're (laughs) not a child. And trust me, I wasn't a compliant, cheerful child. I did not own up to my part of the family With glee, But um, deep down, I liked what those chores said. I I got the the message that was implied. I was not a guest in this house. I was a family member. I belonged here, and I had responsibilities. And that felt really good to me. So my mom had this expression she'd pull out when we got a little lazy or we forgot that we could do something ourselves. And she would just say, make yourself at home. (laughs) So, Mom, do you have any ketchup? In the refrigerator, make yourself at home and, Mom, we don't have any more eggs. Go check the chicken coop. Make yourself at home. So when I had my own kids, I pulled that phrase out. You know how we do, find ourselves saying things, and it became very handy. Mom, will you iron this shirt? Make yourself at home. (laughs) Well, some of us here today maybe need to hear that phrase, make yourself at home, but not in the snarky way that I just said, in a more more sincere way, to make ourselves at home. And... um, just embrace this attitude of belonging, because really you're the only one who can embrace the fact that you belong in this family. Your ideas matter, your presence matter, and we might even have some chores for you to do. When you aren't at the table, we notice, and, and you matter. So we just hope that you will consider yourself part of family and make yourself at home.
2: Living in community is a calling, and as Carrie described, we're all should be part of a family. And it definitely involves intentionality and being open and involves risk. Taking the chance of offering yourself, being refused, rejected, ignored, is hard. And it's all part of living in community with the others. Even though it may be risky, it can be one of the most life-giving opportunities in your life. More than 30 years ago, yeah, (laughs) I heard Tony Campolo give one of his memorable talks. Tony Campolo is a sociology professor and a well-known Christian speaker. In his talk, he described a study of 50 people that were 95 years or older. And he asked if they were given, if they could do anything differently in their life, what would they do differently if they could do it again? Can you imagine how much information and how much wisdom can be gleaned from these 95 year olds if they could do something differently? There were many answers, but three answers resounded with the majority of the 95 year olds reflect more, risk more, and do more things that would live on after they are dead. I want to focus on one of the responses risk more. The response, of taking more, his, the response of taking more risk had impacted me today. It still does. When I feel hesitant and want to step back from a challenge that God has placed before me, I often remember the survey results. Risk more. In regards to community, I want to also address that being part of a community involves risk. But the risk is worth it. Yes, there will be challenges and struggles, but there will be blessings and breakthroughs. God is calling us to take risk, step out of our comfort zone, and be intentional about belonging and being part of a community. If you're like me and you have fears or a shy person, just pray, listen to God, and take one small risk with others. I was the shyest person growing up, and it was difficult for me to talk to people. Through much prayer and risk-taking, now living in community is now a pleasure and not a huge fear. I love it. In Exodus, after a series of plagues, God frees the Israelite community, and they are allowed to leave Egypt. So imagine that. Think about it. Not just one person the whole nation is directed to leave Egypt. God was calling the entire community to come together under his lordship and Moses' leadership, and pay attention, this is the part that I felt like God told me, and walk from, imagine the picture, from slavery to freedom. Together they walked from slavery to freedom. The entire community had to risk what was familiar to go to the unknown, the unseen. Picture the Israelites at the Red Sea, and they have to walk to freedom through walls of water. Even though it's a path they must take to escape the Egyptians in slavery, walking towards freedom and the promised land still involved risk, and it was incredibly scary. If I were there, I and the if I were there I'd be thinking at least I'm not walking alone. If the water comes crashing down, at least we're going down together. <laughs> and I'll be wishing that the person at the front of the line would be walking faster. So <laughs> That's just me. I believe that the Lord is calling all of us here to take a walk like the Israelites, except our walk is from fear, our emotional, spiritual bondages, our past of the world, and into a life of freedom. How do we do it? I think we need to take a walk together, just like the Israelites. God's preparation, his leading together as a group. We have to walk and risk together in community. And I love how in Galatians 6.2 it sums it up very well. We do it together. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ.
0: Okay, so we're up to our last point about offering what we have, not what we don't have. That's a phrase that I've heard the Lord say to me for a couple years now, um, Offer what you have, not what you don't have. So what do we have? First Peter 4.10 says that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So the subject of spiritual gifts is a, an amazing one that we hope Pastor Michael will take up someday. Today, I, I just want to step back from that and, and remember a time when I felt like I would be moaned to Dennis, like, I have no spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? I have no spiritual gifts. Um... And it takes time to uncover what is that what, and, and get reflection from people. What, do you, what are you good at and um, hear from the Lord and even to receive new gifts. Today, I want to talk more about a gift that we all have that we overlook sometime, a gift that we bring to one another even today here in this room or in our small groups that we're in or just in friendships. So let me suggest a few. Presence, you give the gift of just showing up. It's so different when there's a group of 10 people versus 3. It's so great when people just show up. Just your very presence, you carry Christ with you. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you carry the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And so you bring something with you when you enter the room. You, you uh, can offer warmth and openness of heart, compassion, gentleness with the hurting. You can offer empathy, seeing the world through someone else's eyes. You can offer graciousness, not taking offense. You can offer encouragement. A gift of words that uplift one another, or a listening ear with a follow up question or two, a smile, a hello, and a prayer. These are all things we can offer. And we can offer them with an open heart and with generosity if we're not needing to have an outcome. So on my refrigerator, I have a little sticky note that says, Let go of all outcomes. It's just a reminder to me that my job is not to worry about what happens, it's just my job to offer. So sometimes we offer something and it's received. Sometimes we offer and it's ignored. Sometimes we offer something that's precious to us and it's actually rejected. Those things can hurt, but they don't matter. What matters is that we offer what we've been given. When we give away is when we get more. And then we give that away and we get more. And then we get, it's just, it keeps going. We, we learned this years ago from, from a pastor, um, John Wimber. And it's just the way God works with love, with ideas, with money, with um, time, just with anything, with something God has taught you, give it away, and then he gives you more. Um, and then what does it mean, um, you know, give, give what you have, not what you don't have? What don't we have? Well, some, sometimes, many times, I find myself stressed or filled with anxiety, like yesterday. It's usually because I'm, I'm offering what I don't have. I think I should be giving more than I actually have, more time with people than I actually have, more skill than I've even acquired, more knowledge than I have. Maybe I'm trying to give more grace than I've actually internalized, more energy than I've stored up. Sometimes I'm trying to give more wisdom than I've earned with my life, or more listening than I even have capacity for. And God's grace is there. Don't give what you don't have, but be open to receiving more. So I've been thinking for a while about what keeps me from offering what I have, or what keeps us from offering what we have? And I have a friend, another friend, not my green-hearted friend. I have two. Uh, another friend. I need a bunch. We we walk to Starbucks every every two Saturdays of the month, and we've been friends for thirty years. So we know each other really well by now, and we are truth seekers into each other's life, truth and grace. And she's just wonderful about offering truth and grace, and I try to be that for her, too. So we've been talking for a couple of years about vulnerability and courage and what it takes to, to really take that next step, risk, like Dennis was talking about. Like we, we say to each other, like, we don't want to just have a life that's just this. Like, what can we do to encourage each other? And we have found that we share something in common that I wonder if you might also share in common with us. We talk about how we feel like we have two flip sides to us, we, have, uh, we are simultaneously afraid of not being enough, and we're afraid of being too much. And both of those by themselves can be paralyzing, but when you put them together, it's almost debilitating. It will keep you so frozen. So what would that look like, afraid of not being enough, not knowing what to say? Do you ever feel afraid that you um, can't listen with empathy? Or once you find out the information, you'll be overwhelmed with it, not being able to help. Maybe you don't have financial resource or time resource or space in your, in your week. Or has this ever happened? You've prayed for someone to be healed and they get worse. Um, that feeling of not being enough is a scary one. And then what about being afraid of being too much, of coming on too strong, of saying the wrong thing, of feeling too heavy to people, of offering something precious to you that feels really sappy to them? That fear of being too much, of preaching a sermon that irritates somebody, that was a fear. <laughs> so what do we do with these paralyzing fears that keep us hiding and they, and they keep us back from wanting to engage in community or small groups? Well, First John 4.18 tells us, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. According to Romans 5.5, 5, we have this love already poured out into our hearts. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Romans 5:5. 5, 5. So we hold our fears and insecurities and anxieties in the presence of the Lord. We dunk them and dissolve them in that great ocean of love. We don't listen to the lies that keep us from family and from blessing one another. We take them to our trusted friends. A little green-hearted text if that works for you. We don't carry them alone where they can grow into monster size. We take them to our small group, and we ask for prayer. If, if, if fear is what we have, we offer that. <laughs> we just offer what we have. And so this fall, as we come to our relationships and our small, new small groups that, that some of us are going to take a risk and get into, may we just generously offer what we have to one another and be open to receiving what we don't have. Each Sunday, as I um, participate in communion with all of you and and sometimes get to even just watch my church family receiving communion, I just think, what a great picture that describes what we've described today, a family. Communion is a picture of the community that Jesus envisioned for us. We come together as a family, side by side, not individually, but together, gathered around the table here. We come empty-handed, palms up offering, offering what we have, just ourselves. We come to Jesus to receive his nourishment, his bread, and we come to each other the same way. We come saying to Jesus, we need you, and we come saying to our church family, I need you, family. We are made to need each other, and you need me. The Holy Spirit's presence is here. It's here, I don't know, mysteriously in the air. It's here inside of us. And um, it feels like love. It's a family. So we are no longer alone. It's no wonder that Jesus asks us to remember him in this way. And it's no wonder we do it every week. But it's really interesting to me that all four Gospels talk about the Last Supper, but only three of them talk about the actual bread and wine. The fourth one, John, chose something different to describe. He chose to describe that moment when Jesus humbled himself, kneeled down, and began to wash feet. I noticed so much movement in that story, that John, how John told it. Jesus got up, took off his outer coat, wrapped a towel around his waist, so deliberate, his act of humility. And when he finished, he got up, he put on his clothes, and it says he returned to his place. And it struck me that the clothes he put on, those are the ones that he would wear out the door to go to Gethsemane, and the ones that would, he would wear to the cross. Church family, we are not greater than our master, Jesus, as he reminded us in this passage we read today that Michael read to us. He invites us, and maybe even stronger, he tells us, to commune together, love one another, wash each other's feet. We're all in different places in this process of humbling ourselves in community. Some of us need to just take the first step of coming into the room. We're not even sure what this whole family thing is about. Others of us are in the room, but we need to take off our cloaks of protection, make ourselves vulnerable to offering what we have. And for some of us, the most vulnerable thing that we could do is to take off our shoes and let our friends wash our feet, receiving a tender word and encouraging gesture. Then like Jesus in this story, we can stand up, put on our clothes and return to our place. But what clothes are we to put on? I love how Peter, who had such a hard time in this story, receiving Jesus' washing of his feet, years later, Peter told us in 1 Peter 5, 5-6, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so, in closing, what are we called to do? We circle back to humility and the call to love our church family without pretending, without presuming, without pushing. We humble ourselves before God so that we can cast all our anxiety and insecurity on him. And we put on clothes of humility, risking our pride to offer what we have to one another. And as we do... We let go of all outcomes, and we just rest in the love of God.
2: At this time, I'd like to invite the band to come forward. Today, Carrie and I tried to make a case that we are called to belong. We are called to community. We are called to make ourselves at home in a family. We are called to risk. And we are called to offer what we have with generosity and without fear. We'd like to take the next few minutes just to sit quietly with God and see what he's calling you to and reflect on something maybe today that caught your attention, tugged at your heart, or something that was awakened for you. As you sit with that, ask God what he would like you to do with it.